This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Over the next few weeks, we're going to put some flesh on the idea that is presented to us in a very familiar passage of Scripture. It actually comes out of Matthew 6. Jesus is asked how to pray. How should we pray? God, teach us to pray. And he responds, this then is how you should pray. And he's going to go on to lead us in what we now call the Lord's Prayer. It's what you pray before basketball games and baseball games and what we pray after football games. It is a very common and familiar passage of Scripture. So because it is, I'm going to ask you to read along with me. Would you do that with me this morning? Everybody say yes. All right, good. Seven of you did. That's awesome. All right, here we go. All together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now here's the thing. We normally say amen, get back to playing some baseball or basketball or whatever it is that we're doing. But I think there's some phrases in that prayer that are just hard. And we pray them and think about them without ever really logically processing them. You you realize you just prayed, God, forgive me the way that I forgive other people. How many of y'all really want to live on that grading scale today? Like, not me, not me. I want to tell you right now, I want God to forgive me a whole lot different than the way I forgive other people because I find it really easy to hold a grudge, right? I find it way too easy to hang on to some hurt. Is there anybody with me? Anybody with me with that, right? I'm glad God doesn't just forgive me. I'm glad that his grace extends well beyond the way that I forgive other people. But the directive is, God, as we pray, help me to forgive and love the way that I have been forgiven and loved. But then he says this phrase that often goes unnoticed or unprocessed. Look at it. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven where it is perfection, where it is your design, untainted by sin or by our failure, God, let that invade our world. Your kingdom come. What I've come to understand is that this phrase is so important to me and to you because to be a part of any kingdom means that you have certain responsibilities, but there are certain benefits that come with those responsibilities. And we need to embrace this prayer, this desire for the kingdom of God to come in our life. Because if we're going to live the life Jesus paid for and live in all that he has purchased for us, to live in peace, to live in joy, to live in contentment, if we're going to live in that, we need to allow the kingdom to come in our lives. But I think that for many of us, the reason that we're not living in the fullness of the kingdom of God is that we, we really don't understand our relationship with God. I want you to answer this question for yourself. Think about this with me, okay? What defines 
your relationship with Jesus? What defines your relationship with Jesus? Think about that for a second. What is it that defines your relationship with Jesus? Is it obedience? Do, do you feel like you're doing really good with Jesus when, when you're being obedient and you're getting things right? And do you feel like you're really struggling when, in the moments when you're not? Maybe, maybe you've defined your relationship with God. To obe- and, and obedience is important. Listen, the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. So that means that God desires us to be obedient more than he wants us to actually come in here and shout and praise or give anything. He, he would rather us just simply be obedient. How many of y'all have ever experienced that with your kids, right? Your kids do something awesome, but they won't clean their rooms. And you're like, just clean your room. Right, I love that you colored me that picture. That's so sweet. But I really need you to clean your room. Right? To obey is better than sacrifice. And obedience is important, but is that really the nature of our relationship with God? Then maybe for some of us it's love. And and when we feel loved by God, we feel like things are going well. But but when, when the circumstances of our life don't feel like we're experiencing the love of God, some of us feel this tension that maybe things aren't going well. Maybe you've defined your relationship with God through, through love. It, it could be that it's through friendship. I mean, Jesus says in John 15, and no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And it's an amazing gift that God would actually want to have an intimate personal relationship with each one of us, that he would want to be your friend. But, but maybe sometimes you feel like you're being a good friend and, 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 and God's being a good friend to you, but then there are times when you don't feel like he's being that good of a friend. And the ebb and flow of your relationship is dictated through these tensions. But the thing is, Jesus has a lot to say about his relationship to us. He has a lot to say about it. And to, to sum it up, I could say this, that we are invited into a spiritual kingdom through Jesus, where Jesus is the hero and the king. Jesus constantly makes the kingdom of God an issue. In his words, in in Mark 1, the first chapter of the first gospel ever written, Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come, repent and believe the good news. Now that leave that up there for a second. The good news, that phrase is really what we call the gospel. The word gospel translates out to the good news. The good news is that the kingdom of God is here. So many times we think about the good news being that God is full of grace and love. But Jesus, in his own words, preached a gospel of the kingdom. Not a gospel of grace. There's definitely grace in the gospel. There's love in the gospel. But he preaches a a gospel of the kingdom. Which is why when you get to the end of his story, right, this moment where he's going to be crucified, do you know what he's crucified for? It's because he claimed to be king. He claimed to be king. It was his own personal, he he leveraged that claim publicly, and the religious leaders were so furious that they wanted to kill him. Now, here's the thing. Under religious law, they had the authority to execute him under one method, and that was through stoning. But they didn't want to stone him. They wanted to publicly disgrace him. 
in such a methodical and public way that he would be demeaned as any sort of religious leader. So they wanted to have him executed through the governing authorities of Rome. So they bring him to the Roman governor named Pilate. Pilate seven times, if you count them in the gospel, claims Jesus is innocent. I see nothing wrong with this man. There's nothing. And he, so he does all this stuff to try to get out of executing him the way that they, but they're leveraging this claim. He says he's the king of the Jews. You represent the king of everything. Caesar. He's making himself to stand in authority against Caesar, he deserves execution, which he did by their laws. And so he orders them to be scourged, which was a ridiculous punishment. Many men died just from the beating that he received before his execution. And then Pilate afterwards, just wanting to get out of it, pulls Jesus aside. We see this in John 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Well, what is it that he'd done? He'd preached the gospel of the kingdom. So watch his words. After this, look at this. Jesus then replied, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, right now, in this moment that we're talking, my kingdom is from another place. I'm a king, but it's not the kind of kingdom you understand. Jesus doesn't defend himself. He doesn't, I mean, listen, if you were on trial and somebody said that you claimed that you were Mr. Universe, wouldn't you just say, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Let me off. Don't kill me. Right? Jesus doesn't defend himself. And the reason he doesn't defend himself is because the only reason Pilate has any authority is because he gave it to him. My kingdom is of another world. You are living under the authority that I've given to you. The kingdom of God was so central to the teaching of Jesus that it's, it's actually anchored in many of his promises. We see that in Matthew 6. Look at this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of This desire for the kingdom of God to come, for the kingdom of God to come in our lives, for the kingdom of God to come in this world, for things to be made right, for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But you know what happens? We seek the things. We go after the things. We don't go after the kingdom. And Jesus is real simple. Just go after the kingdom and I'll take care of everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God. See, this does not make sense to us because we don't understand kingdoms. Now, it did in the first century because they lived in a kingdom. They had all kinds of kings around them. They understood what it meant to have a king. But we don't because we live in a democracy where everybody votes and everybody has power and everybody gets a trophy, okay? And it's not that way back then, all right? There was a difference. And so I think it's important to talk about what, what a king was. What does a king do? 
Well, the first thing that a king does is a king provides. A king provides. Now, if you're taking notes today, and I want you to rem- just to remind you that, that we have an app. That you can find it on your app store or in Google, your Google store. You, you can find it. It's just Vortex Church. And, and every week, we're going to have fill-in notes that are on the app. You can take naps. In, uh, or take naps. Don't take naps, please. Um, <laughs> Notes on your app that squeeze together into naps. Um, you can take you can take notes on your app, and it'll actually save them there and consolidate them all in one place. Um, just wanted you to know that. Um, so the first thing that a king does is he provides. Now notice in the Lord's prayer, the way that Jesus prays in the Lord's prayer actually reflects the kingdom of God. Give us today our daily bread. Do you know why we pray, God, give us today our daily bread? Because in a kingdom, the king owns everything. 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 The king owns. You, you ever do this? You ever go to the store and buy like a six-pack of Coke? In the first five you drink, you're like, you don't care. You just like are concerned. You get to that last one and you're like, oh, I need to save that for like dinner or some special occasion. Right, so you just that 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 bottle sits in there for like four or five days when you like blew through the first five in just like five minutes, right? Well, here's the thing about a king: a king could walk in your house and take that bottle of Coke whenever he wanted, because everything in your house belonged to him if you were in his kingdom. The king owned everything. The king owned everything. And so because he owned everything, it was his job to provide and to provide. And a good king provided. A good king used that power to provide. Bad kings, however, used that power to manipulate. In medieval times, there was an edict that was often delivered from the kings that was called prima noctis. It actually gave nobles under the king's right and authority the ability to take on a wedding night the bride away from the husband so that he, the noble, would consummate their marriage. This is why when King David sends for Bathsheba, she comes because a king owns everything in the kingdom. And a bad king uses that to manipulate, but a king uses that, a good king uses that to provide for his people. So a king provides. Number two, a king governs. King governs. I want you to see, again, so much of this reflected in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that we pray so many times. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. God, we, we, we know that we have been wrong, but we need to be made right. We know that there is injustice, but we want to see justice brought. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It reflects the idea of justice. And then lead us not into temptation. It's the idea that there is leadership, that there is direction being provided. See, that's what governing does. To govern means to provide leadership and administrate justice. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I have a heart attack when I'm driving. When I look behind me and I see those blue lights come on, right? That ever happened to you? Just a small mini heart attack happens right there in my driver's seat. Whether it's for me, I'm going the speed limit. I know that there's nothing wrong. I know it's not me. I know they're just coming up the road going after somebody. But, you know, you're like checking the speed limit. Do I have his blinkers on? Is there anything wrong? Is my registration up to date? You're just going through all the things that it could be you. See, the thing is we don't like justice when it's applied to us until we need it applied to somebody else. See, we love the police when they show up when our house has been broken into, though. 
don't we? But we'll get mad when they write us a ticket for going 10 over. That's what, that's what governing does. It provides justice. We need that. And a good king governs. And then, number three, a good king protects. Notice the end of that prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Oh, we don't have the power, but you do. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. See, the, the king's responsibility was to protect. And it was the king's responsibility because he'd been given all authority, all responsibility, and all resource to protect the people. The reason he owned all of this was to provide protection for those that were under his authority. And a good king protected his people. So Søren Kierkegaard, who was a Danish philosopher uh, in the 19th century, decided that he wanted to try to explain Jesus as king. Because so many times in our modern world, we don't understand it. We, we don't get what it means to see Jesus as king. We see him as friend. We see him as the lover of our souls. But we don't, we don't see him as king. And we don't understand who he is in our lives. And so he wrote a parable that was called The, the King and the Maiden, and it kind of went like this, that there was a, a very handsome, wealthy king. He was a good king, but he was a young king. He was not married. And instead of basically playing, you know, the bachelor out, bringing a bunch of women in, figuring out who he's going to marry, and he knew that he could bring any woman from the kingdom into his home and say, would you marry me? And they would say yes because he was the king. He wanted to be loved for who he was, not what he was. And so, for a time, he abdicated his throne and walked away from the palace and moved a few villages over where he moved into a very common home and took up a very common trade. And he started working, paying rent, working, paying rent, working, paying rent, working, paying rent. And eventually, a girl down the street caught his eye. Before too long, she became captivated with him. Their relationship began to blossom, and they fell in love. And He proposed marriage and went to her dad and asked for her hand in marriage, and they were married in a small ceremony without much circumstance around it. And then he took her home. Not to the home that he had lived in, but to the palace of a king. Because she had no idea that she was falling in love with a king. See, Jesus wants a relationship with you that is loving. And he gave up heaven so that he could come to earth and die a criminal's death so that we could have that relationship with him. See, as a king, there are a few things we see about Jesus, and I want you to notice this. Number one, God, Jesus shows us how good he really is. How good he really is. It's so easy when we go through difficult seasons to doubt the goodness of God, but I want you to see today that God is truly a good king. Jesus laying aside heaven, coming to earth, laying down his life so that we 
could be made right with him, putting our sins on his back, taking the blow that we should have suffered. He shows us how good he really is, but this is equally important. Jesus shows us how valuable you really are, that you are worth his life. You are worth the sacrifice of leaving heaven. He's a good king. As a matter of fact, I'd go so far to just say he's our hero king. And so many times we don't see him as that. So for the remainder of this message, I'm just going to try to shed some light as to who Jesus is as our king. The first thing that I want you to see today is that Jesus is the king that provides for our needs. He's the king that provides for our needs. That's what a good king does. A good king is the kind of leader that provides for the people under his authority to meet their needs. But here's the thing about us. When we hear leader in our world, we think of power. We think of power. And a lot of times we actually don't just think of power, we think of the abuse of power. Okay? But that's, that's not the kind of king that Jesus is. As a matter of fact, the kind of king that Jesus is described in Ephesians 5 is the Bible describes what marriage is supposed to look like. If you're a wife in here, the Bible gives a very clear directive in Ephesians 5 that you are to submit to your husband as to the Lord. Now notice that the, the passage begins with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so there, there's, it begins by saying, hey, this is mutual submission, but then it gives this very clear directive to the wife, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. In other words, it implies you're going to disagree with him, all right? There are going to be times that you think he's off, he's wrong, and you think you have a much better idea, but that we, when we're under submission, are to submit to the leader that's over us. To say, all right, I acquiesce to your leadership, you're in charge, you're responsible. Ultimately, you're the person that will stand before God one day. But if we, if we back up a little bit and look at the whole picture, we see that what God says to the husband is extraordinary. He says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church giving himself up for her to make her holy. I mean, a godly leadership from a husband in a family is to lay down your dreams, lay down your desires, lay down your wants, so that everybody in your family is taken care of, so that you can help empower your wife to chase her dreams, so that you can help empower your kids to become who God's called them to be, so that you can serve them. It's not about you being served. It's about serving others. That's what leadership in the Bible looks like. That's what power in the Bible looks like. It's not going up the ladder. It's going down the ladder to become somebody that serves. And a good king uses that power to provide for those needs. This is reflected in Psalm 24, verse 1, where it says this, that the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Do you see kingdom there? Do you see what I'm talking about? That's kingdom. The, we live in a kingdom 
This is a spiritual kingdom, but the world, everything in the world, everything that you have belongs to God. Your kids belong to God because they're people, right? Every person in the world belongs to God. Your husband belongs to God. Your wife belongs to God. Your parents belong to God. Your friends belong to God. Everybody belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. So what that means is that whatever you have, you have been given. Everything you have has been given to you. Everything, everything, everything you have. That home that you live in, a gift. Those kids that you get to care for, a gift. That friend that you have that's there when you need them, a gift. The spouse that you love, a gift. It's all been given to you. It's all been given to you. And I think that there are a few things that should happen in our hearts when we realize that Jesus is a good king who owns everything, who has given so much to us, who has given so much I mean, every person in this room, I don't care what level of income you're at, the average income for the average family in Stanley County is at 0.6% of the top wealthiest people in the world. Most of us are way above that line. So don't tell me that you're not blessed. You are. You're ridiculously blessed. All of us are. We're blessed. We're blessed. And the first thing that should happen in our when we realize that God owns and He has given us so much is that we should become very thankful. We should become very thankful. If you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with not being satisfied with where you are in life, or there's a constant level of dissatisfaction, here's something that you can do. Take time and write down the 10 things that are in your life that money can't buy the people that love you, the friends that have been there for you, the kids that look up to you, the things that you can spend all the money in the world you want, but you can't buy that. I promise you that you're going to see that you're blessed. You're blessed. And we should be thankful. We should be thankful. But it's not just that God... God has all of this, but, but he uses all of that to take care of us. In Philippians 4.19, the Bible says that my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory, right? He's going to meet all your needs. That's a promise. That's a promise. And some of you, there are desires of your heart that you want, and you're looking to the future for that. But it's not here in the present. I want you to understand something today. That if you don't have it, you don't need it. If you don't have it, you don't need it. It may just be simply the wrong time. Because here's the thing. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Sometimes God puts us in seasons of waiting to prepare us for seasons of abundance. And we need to accept that. That he's king. He gets to provide it. If we don't have it, then God's saying to us, right now in this moment, you don't need it. There's probably something I need to do in your heart to prepare you to step into this reality that I've called you into. So once we finally realize that God has provided everything, he owns everything, the world is his and the fullness thereof. 
I think the second thing that should happen in our hearts is we should invite Jesus to be king of everything in our lives. He should be king of everything. I mean, if you own everything, if it's all yours, Jesus, be king. Because too many of us, the only time Jesus is king is on Sunday morning. It's not Friday night. It's not Saturday morning. It's Sunday morning. We come into church and we, Jesus, you're king, you're king, you're king, you're king. But then we go out and we live like he's not. If he owns your home, which he does, invite him to be king of your home. If he owns your kids, let him be king of your family. If he owns all your finances, make him king over your finances. If he holds all of your relationships, just let him be king of your relationships and friendships. Some of you have been struggling in your marriage. And the problem isn't that you're not trying. The problem is that in Ephesians 5, it begins with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, Jesus is supposed to be the king of your marriage. And you need to make him the king of your marriage. Because as much work as you put into it, if he's not king over your marriage, it's not going to work. And here's what happens. When this is the only place that Jesus is king, it's the only place he gets to work. We make Jesus king over our home. He gets to work there. We make Jesus king over our finances. He gets to work there. We make Jesus king over our family. He gets to work there. We make Jesus king over our marriage, and he gets to work there. In one moment with the king. One moment. It can change everything. It can change everything. Just one moment. It can do what thousands of hours of counseling could do. It could do what you never dreamed was possible. Just one moment with the king. I believe that what God wants to do in many of your lives is you making him king over something that you've never let him be king over because he is the God that provides for our needs. Number two, Jesus is the king that governs with holy justice. With holy justice. You know, there's a longing in our hearts to see the things that are wrong made right. And that's a good, holy thing. God, God put that there. God is a God of justice. But here's the problem. So many of us think that we're the judge that gets to point to what's wrong and right. You're not. I'm sorry. Jesus is the judge. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the judge that decides what's good and what's not good for us. We see that in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is the ultimate and final judge that we'll have to stand before one day to give an account of our life. We see that in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. And here's the good news. If King Jesus is the judge, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. If King Jesus is a judge, you don't have to be. 
which means you can stop being the person that points out what's wrong. This is what's wrong. This is what, we really could fix that. Really, that person really could just tweak that one thing. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a world that has become keenly aware of everyone else's faults and remarkably oblivious to our own. You might be sitting there saying, <laughs> Man, how, am I, how am I judging? How am I judging? Hey, you ever heard somebody say this? You know what? I know, I know uh, I'm just a person. I just speak it. I just speak it the way I think it, you know? I just, I just say, what I, I say what I see, right? I'm just telling the truth. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're, you're sharing an opinion. And you're front-loading it, so we know it's probably going to hurt somebody's opinion. The Bible never gives you permission to share your opinions. It does give you permission to share the truth, but only if you can share it in love. How many people have been won to the gospel, to Jesus by love, and then turned away by people who claim to be Christians who are nothing but judgmental? How many people? Thousands. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. See, the thing about our judgment is it's often born out of anger. We see somebody doing something, we think it's wrong, and we get angry and we say something that we shouldn't say about him. And we say that, and what happens? Have you ever noticed this? We push people away. We actually push them further away from God's truth, further away from God's purposes. But here's the thing about King Jesus. Every judgment from King Jesus gets us closer to his purposes because he's a good king and he's loving. And though that discipline may be uncomfortable for a while, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace. Jesus is the king that governs with holy justice and Jesus is the king that protects us. He's the king that protects us. He literally laid down everything he had. He gave up heaven to come to earth as a created being. He gave up his life so that he could be wounded and bruised and pierced to carry the burden and penalty of our sin. I love the way Philippians 2 puts it. Look at this. That he, look at this, had the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself in obedience. In, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord over all. Because he was humble, God elevated and honored him. See, here's the thing. King Jesus deserves our highest honor. Why? 
because he gave up everything for us. He gave up everything for you. But you know what we do to him? We go, okay, you know, Jesus, I, I, I get it. I get it. I'm supposed to forgive my friend. I know they hurt me. They said some things. But you know what, Jesus? I can't, I, I'm just not going to do that right now. I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to do what you say is right. So I'm, I'm going to hold on to this bitterness a little bit longer. Oh, oh Jesus, I, I see, I see, I see your, your, your plan is for me to parent, not, not like I own my kids, but, but like they belong to you and, and, and that one day we're actually going to launch them out in the world as missionaries to change the world. I get it, but you know what, Jesus, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to treat them like my possessions. You know what, Jesus, I see, I see, I see. Your plan over my finances is that, that I be generous, right, that I give. And, but, but, but you don't know. You must not understand about all these bills that I have, Jesus. No, you know what, you, know, yeah, you can be king. You can be king on Sunday morning, but, but I'm going to do this my way. What that is is dishonoring Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We get kingdom. We get it. You just don't know that you get it. You want to know where you get kingdom? Because most of us have actually been to a kingdom. It's called the magic kingdom. You ever been there before? We've been there. And here's how it works. We get onto the property, and there are 18 lanes that all have arrows pointing one direction. You know what we do? We get in a lane, and we go that direction. And then we come to a gate, and there's a long line. We don't complain. We don't complain. We've got to wait for a little bit. We don't complain about it. We just get in the line and wait. Pay our ticket to park. We go. And then there's a huge parking lot. We park three miles, three miles from the gate. We backpack in, have to stop, camp overnight, make our way to the front gate. Right? And we get up there, and there's a price to be paid to enter into the kingdom. And you know what? We joyfully pay that price. Joyfully pay that price. And we go in, and the first thing that we do is we make a beeline to our favorite ride. And we get there, and there's a wait. There's a wait. We have no idea how long we're going to have to wait, but we get in line. Why? Because there's a ride. We want to ride it. See, here's the problem. So many of us have given Mickey Mouse more honor than we've ever given Jesus. Because we've been willing to participate in that kingdom, but not in the kingdom of God. In Hebrews, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. He gave up his life as a king so that you could be made right with him. And he deserves our highest honor. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.